Welcome to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. I'm Trevor Maxwell. I'm a stage four colon cancer survivor, and I've got a message for other men. You don't have to go through this alone. What does it mean to man up to cancer? It means reaching out instead of isolating. It means having the courage to accept help along the way. To me, manning up isn't just about being tough. It's about knowing that we're stronger and smarter as a pack than we are as lone wolves. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to introduce you today to Mr. Eric Ingbritson, one of my dearest friends, my roommate back at the University of Iowa many moons ago. Eric lives with his wife, Allie, and their two daughters in Winfield, Illinois. He has seen the toll that cancer takes on families. Eric was a caregiver to his father, who died of brain cancer at the age of 52, soon after Eric graduated from Iowa. He is one of the best guys I could ever imagine having as a friend. So before I bring him on, I need to read to you the blog post I wrote about Eric. This is from December 2019, titled Cancer Friendship Bromance Edition. Last Friday evening, I took our 12-year-old to softball practice at the indoor batting cages in Portland. I was reading a book in the car when I got a text from Sarah, my wife. Can you come home right after practice? Someone is at our house who wants to see you. I've been sworn to secrecy about who. Hmm. Okay. So Elsie and I got home, walked through the door, and boom, out jumps this mountain of a man, arms outstretched for a huge bro hug. It was my college roommate, Eric Ingbertson. He had flown to Maine from Chicago without any heads up. We had seen each other only a handful of times in the past 20 years. Turns out I'm not great at long distance friendships. So here was Eric standing in the middle of our kitchen, holding a stocking full of gifts for our entire family. About a month ago, Eric learned about my stage four colon cancer. His wife, Allie, who went to college with us, had read one of my blog posts. Right away, Eric knew what he had to do. He was going to surprise me with a holiday hallmark moment. He booked a flight, rental car, and hotel, in case, you know, we weren't home. He swore people to secrecy and gave his mission a hilarious and perfectly Eric codename, Operation Christmas Lobster. There are a few things you need to know about Eric. First, the exterior. Barrel-chested, broad-shouldered, jaw made of granite. At the University of Iowa, he earned a walk-on spot on the football team. He used to bench-press the couch in our apartment, with Sarah and I sitting on it. For the most part, Eric enjoyed playing the role of Midwestern jock. In high school in Illinois, he was nicknamed the Norwegian Nightmare, thanks to his ferocity on the football field and basketball court. At Iowa, he was known to chug beer from an oversized glass stein. But beneath that exterior, Eric has always been complex. He's a sensitive soul with a big heart, a strong desire to learn, and more hobbies than anyone I know. Eric is passionate about family, woodworking, metalworking, fishing, cooking, games, history, folklore, ancestry, psychology, and probably much more. Every year, Eric orchestrates a Halloween party for 200 guests in the backyard. For months in advance, the neighborhood kids come over to his house and work with him to engineer and build spooky, automated attractions. When Eric showed up last week, we picked up right where we had left off in Iowa, except it was even sweeter. We've matured, thank God. Now we can share our experiences as men with the wisdom time imparts. Late into the night, our conversations flowed from the serious, cancer, life changes, responsibilities, what it's like to be a man in today's world, to the hilarious. Quoting classic movies, remembering the Halloween we dressed up as Canadian basketball players from the 1970s with headbands, wigs, and tight shorts. By the time Eric departed on Sunday, my face hurt from smiling. 
If there's a medicine for the soul, this was it. Eric didn't come to Maine to say goodbye to me. He fully expects me to survive this cancer, and he hammered that point home many times. No, he came to Maine for kinship. Even though we haven't been in touch, Eric and I are family. If your gut is telling you to visit an old friend, no matter if they have cancer or not, now's the time. If you have a list of excuses for why you can't, write them down on a piece of paper and then burn it in symbolic rebellion. Life can change on a dime. You might not get another chance to spend time together. Thank you, Eric. Operation Christmas Lobster, fully accomplished, can take its rightful place in Norwegian lore. I am honored to have the man, the myth, the legend, Eric Ingbertson, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, buddy. It's wonderful to be here. <laughs> I told myself so, I wouldn't cry. I told myself. <laughs> I mean, when I found out about what you were dealing with, you know, I was I was grocery shopping and, you know, I just, I think I was in the deli aisle, to be honest with you. I may have been looking at turkey or ham or something. And it literally, I can remember, it just hit me. I'm like, I, I have to go. I just have to go. I'm just going to go and I'm going to surprise them. And um, so what did she say? Yeah. So Allie... Mm-hmm. So Allie called, she had read this and what did she say to you? Just, and, and people also need to know that you call me Vern because Vern and Allie and Eric, uh, back in college, my nickname was Vern. I uh, don't even need to get into why. Uh, so if he mentioned, if, you know, if you say Vern during this, uh, podcast, that's, that's Trevor. Yeah. Um, so what did Allie tell you? It, you know, it was just, it was a text saying, Hey, you know, Vern is, is back on social media. And I was just looking at his page you know, he's, he's talking about cancer. And I'm like, you know, I just went kind of cold, to be honest with you. And I, my youngest daughter, Hadley, mm-hmm. was with me. Uh, I got, we were at Mariano's grocery shopping. And, you know, I can remember kind of looking, like, just kind of being stunned and looking at, like, the deli <laughs> counter, just being like, oh, my God, like, what? Like, you know what I mean? It was just kind of a one of those moments that it was kind of, I, I, I couldn't believe it. It was like uh, I was in shock. So... And literally the first thing that kind of came to my head was like, okay, what, what can I do? And I always think about like, what would I like someone to do? Like, right. Because, you know, I think I'm a kind of an empath and I was like, how cool. And I think the concept of a surprise is like one of the best things in the world. Right. Because. Uh, Yeah. yeah, I mean, and you were, you were willing to you were willing to fully take the risk that we wouldn't even, maybe we wouldn't even be available. Like you were just going to come out to Maine from Chicago and Oh, if, if Trevor and his family are gone for that weekend, that was, you were willing to go all in on that. I, yeah, I, well, I'm kind of extreme as you probably know, right. I go all in and I just said, said even the, for me, even the, the, if I went out there and you knew I tried to do it, I wasn't there. That could be just as meaningful. Obviously I wanted you to be there. Right. And believe me, when I I talked to a few people here at home about like, hey, do I tell them? Do I not tell them? And I had about three quarters of the people saying, yeah, you got to tell them. And I'm like, you know what, though? It just would take away that visceral just surprise. And I think that's part oh, of man. that's part of the magic to it. You know, and I had this envisioned in my head, like what how it was going to go down. And what made it even more amazing was that, and I fully admit that I... I have not been a good friend with a lot of the people I was close to in college. Like I lost touch with pretty much everyone, even you, who I was closest to my roommate. Like I would consider my best friend during college. Yeah. I, for whatever reasons I was going through my own life, like 
I don't get into too much self-condemnation there, but I definitely, I let those relationships go away, even though I care about you and all, and all of the you know people that I was friends with. So, so for you to hear about me and to take that kind of, ooh, to, to care about someone that much, even, even me who hadn't, I had not, you know, gone out of my way to be a friend to you or to reach out to you or to help you along your way. But you like, I mean, talk about selflessness. That's one of the things that even struck me even more that you were willing to do that and rekindle this friendship. Even when I hadn't shown you that type of friendship since the, what are we, how old are we now? <laughs> we, we left <laughs> Iowa in 2000, right? So almost 20 years. And I think for me, it was just, it wasn't even a question. I, I mean, I think with some relationships you have in life, it's timeless, you know, and I would certainly put that, you know, even though we haven't been in touch, you know, I think sometimes you just, you have those special relationships in your life where you can just pick it right back up. Even though like there are some people saying, you got to tell them, you got to tell them and all this stuff. I was like, you know what? I just had this determination about it and and there was no way I was going to be deterred from doing it because it was like, how awesome would that be to just show up at the door? And I will say this, I did have to stalk you a little bit. I did do some research on social media <laughs> and I kind of was like, okay, it's right before Christmas. He just got back from San Diego. Uh, uh, he, you know, he, I, yeah, I've seen, you know, doing some treatments around home. I'm like, I, you know, odds are that he's going to be around. It's the holidays. So I get this text from Sarah that someone's at my our house and it's a surprise and I, you know, what the, I'm like, what the heck? I get home now. So when Eric jumps out at you, you know, all of a sudden there's a six foot three hairy Viking beast in my kitchen, like jumping out from behind the, like the sidewall. I'm like, oh my God, what is happening? Are we getting invaded? And and I recognize, of course, right away that it's you and you've got gifts for the girls, you know, smile on your face. Yeah. So I mean, talk about nailing that moment. Was that, was yeah. that what you had in mind? I, I absolutely did. The all I, in my mind, it was like I built it up to where it was like you were all at the door, right? And I was just, you know, so it was really close. But it was kind of fun because when I showed up next door, your, your it was your aunt, your aunt's house, right? Yes, I, yes. And they were like, I knocked on their door and it was kind of like a storm. And so it was kind of like this, you know, I was just knocking on the door like, hey, um, I'm not crazy. I was here 10 years ago. Remember me? You know, when we and uh, and right away, they actually did recognize me. So and then I visited with them for like a half an hour. You make an impression. I'm not sure if you're you're probably <laughs> aware of that. Um, so let's talk about cancer. So cancer is a scary thing, right? Can we just put that out there on the table? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and so let's talk a little bit about can- how cancer has impacted your life. So I imagine that, you know, Part of the reason that brought you to Maine, you know, obviously it was our relationship, but you've also had cancer impact you and your family in the past. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So my father died of uh, uh, melanoma, so skin cancer, a year after I left Iowa. So I graduated in December of 98, and he was diagnosed in January of 99, and then passed away in December of 99. So it was, you know, kind of a surreal experience. I got back from Iowa, and then all of a sudden, you know, there's just working and going down to the city and adjusting to all that and then dealing with with my father's death. And it was, you know, a profound impact on me. I mean, it was a long, difficult process for all of us. And 
But I think at the end of the day, there's a, you know, there's a lot of good that came from it too, from, in terms of just, you know, how you learn about yourself and being selfless for others and really what, you know, kind of the meaning of life. So yeah, it definitely touched me, you know, profoundly. So I think, you know, I, I certainly have a special place in my heart for people that, uh, struggle. That experience as a young man for you, especially, uh, you know, we had a chance to talk about some of the dynamics with you and your dad and your family in a way that we never did, you know, before when you were here visiting. And I think one of the things that struck me and one of the things that you really encouraged me around with the man up to cancer vision was sort of this evolution and the ways that men are taught to share or not share about their pain and their experience. And, you know, seeing your dad go through that, like, he was a pretty tough guy, right? He, he was, and, <laughs> yeah, like a big burly machinist wrestler type. And, and, and he didn't express himself till the very end. And mm. I tell you, there was a very touching time real quick. Yeah. He, he had an estranged brother who I, an uncle that I never met. He was estranged from the family for a variety of reasons. And um, two days before my father passed, he actually cut my father's hair And we all witnessed it. And it was actually a very touching uh, moment, you know. So, you know, he, I think at the end of his life, you you know, he really reflected on and, you know, what was really important. And the fact that he and his brother had been estranged went away and there was just a tender human moment. So it was pretty cool. And I'll always remember that. So even the toughest of guys, right, it doesn't mean you can't be in touch with your feelings and emotionality. They're not mutually exclusive, right? Bringing your toughness is not necessarily a bad thing, but I, I, I definitely think there were people of that generation who felt that they weren't supposed to, like, if they weren't feeling good or if there was something going on with their health, it was just something you didn't talk about, something you didn't right. get help with. You just sucked it up and, and pressed on. Right. I'm, I'm sure that applied to his situation. Absolutely. Yeah, it was absolutely <laughs> the way he raised us and the way he carried out his life. And I think it was a function of the times, you know, the 60s and, you know, just that mentality, right? Milwaukee, Wisconsin, right? That, yep, that kind absolutely. of the Midwestern thing. But um, yeah, I mean, I think at the end, I think he really did see the light in terms of getting in touch with his emotionality and feelings. And I'll tell you, he said things to me at the end of his life that he had never said to me before. And we had some of the more tender moments we'd ever had. In fact, I, you know, he went from 330 pounds to 130 pounds by the end of his life. And I would carry, and I would carry him in my arms back and forth from the bed to the bathtub. So yeah, it's definitely something that Cancer is something that you can't out tough. It doesn't matter how much you bench press or how fast you run. It it can humble anybody. So I think at the end of the day, the vision that you're bringing into yeah. fruition here is is really kind of the manifestation of, of that ideal. It's like, hey, open up about it and let's get help and talk about it. Yeah. And, and imagining that caregiving that you gave to him toward the end of his life. I mean, that's so meaningful. For a son to be able to do that and so hard i mean my god you were what 20 years old yeah it was like 20 22 22 22 years old just getting out of college you know he was not an old man at that point he's 52 52 years old you know big fa- you have a big family i'm the oldest of six the oldest of six all of a sudden you find yourself in the position of having to really man up yeah <laughs> in a lot of ways because mm-hmm. i remember when we were in college you were just amazing athlete, first of all, but just maybe a little bit of a hard driving uh, meathead at times, but then someone who would just buckle down and disappear for days at a time to study your ass off. <laughs> you were very driven as a student. And what I remember was at the time I was thinking you just didn't want, 
you wanted to show people that you weren't one dimensional, but now that I've learned about your dad and what you were going through, like, I realized that you were driven to make him proud and to make your family proud. That's a good motivation, my man. And, and mission accomplished because I know he was always proud of you and he just didn't know how to show it. Like a lot of guys from that generation. And the fact that you're able to show it to your daughters is a testament to, to both of you. Yeah. Thanks, man. I appreciate those comments. I mean, I think he was too. And I, I think at the end of the day, the way we had to kind of step up and take care of my brothers and sisters. And I, I think he would have been really proud about, about everything. It's probably just in the last 10 years that I've become more and more open to showing the other side of me, the, yes. the sensitive complex side. Cause I, I always had to, I don't know, I kind of hit it a little, I guess. But because uh, it wasn't necessarily revered in the culture I grew up in, right? At the time, it wasn't, it was kind of like, hey, you know, you're a meathead, be a meathead kind of a thing. <laughs> but really, I, I really wasn't. You know, I could kind of play one on TV, but yes, um, but I really, yes. the, the truth of it is, I never really was. Totally. <laughs> and, and so that's funny because I just jotted down in my notes here, like, because I love complex guys and, and guys who you look at and maybe make assumptions about and then they completely surprise you. As you have gotten older, you know, it sounds like you definitely have gotten better at embracing the complexity in yourself. Yes, yes. It's been a process. I think it's a journey that, um, you know, I think we all go through. I mean, and I'm glad for it. I mean, it's not always been easy to kind of look at like the old dogmas and then move on and evolve. But, you know, I have definitely had some help along the way and which has been amazing. And um, so I, I think that I'm just lucky that I'm able to see this next level of my life. Some people never get there. We, we talk a lot, man, up to cancer about about the <laughs> the willingness to accept help as a big hurdle for a lot of guys to to overcome. But you were able to, like you just said, you have had help along the way, and I I hope it's okay to share here that you you know yeah have seen absolutely. a counselor and have no shame in that. Absolutely. Did you face your own struggle in getting to that point where you're like, damn, I I think that uh, I can't do everything on my own and I'm not perfect all the time. Yep. Yeah, no, it was, I, I probably started that process 10, 11 years ago and um, I hated it at first, to be, <laughs> to be frank. I hated it. <laughs> and I've been seeing the same therapist for 11 years and I, I now refer to Christina as my spirit guide. You know, it's more than just my therapist. Uh, yes. You know, she's a, she's a small, fiery Italian woman. I call her Buddha, depending on the day. But <laughs> You know, she kind of like, you know, even though she's a third of my size, she didn't take my, you know, you know, didn't put up with anything and kind of has this great balance of putting me in my place, but also providing a nurturing side as well. So she's been, yeah, she's definitely been the the spirit guide for me. So she's a big reason that I've hopefully been able to take the next step. It's so cool that you can be a super strong guy, football player at the University of Iowa, you know, one of the elite programs and super strong very manly. Like you can do a lot of stuff with your hands. You're an outdoors person. Like the assumptions one could make of you are that you are just guy's guy, macho all through and through, but then you get to know you and, and, you know, you have the, it's like the soft, chewy, chocolatey center. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, honestly, uh, you know, just what my, my dad used to say, Eric, you're a sensitive boy. And I, he just always used to look at me and he noticed it early on. And, you know, I just kind of hit it, I guess. But um, <laughs> it well, with right, it also has to come out with the right people, too, because I think a lot of my guy friendships have not been, you know, it's kind of like sports related or high fives. Sure, and, sure. But, you know, 
the relationship we had in college was different. I mean, you get it at a deeper level, although you were also a wonderful athlete, a basketball player, well, you know, like, state championship caliber player. You also were very articulate, still are, right? You're very sensitive. Yeah. And yes. so I think in a way that was a little bit of a role model for me too, because I was like, hey, you can kind of really be both. It doesn't well, it's happen. it's funny you say that. that because you were a role model to me. It was like picking up on those other parts of the personality because I think I definitely was too sensitive at times and needed a little more toughness in my life. And that's something with cancer that that same thing kind of came up where I felt like I had the emotional part down, <laughs> the sensitivity part down, but needed to have a little more badass. So, uh, you know, you say the word role models, it definitely is something that I've been thinking about a lot. And that's one of the reasons I'm super happy to have you on this show, because I hope that people listen to this and and hear that the modern man can be all these things, can be a whole human, be so well-rounded, be emotional, sensitive, uh, strong, tough. The roles and expectations are evolving and, and it's not, and it's something that's individual, but um, just the idea that you can express your whole self and don't feel like you need to hide it is something that I think is really, we're seeing that evolve in the culture. Yeah. And I think you're a great example of that. Oh yeah. Thank you. I mean, it uh, took me a while. <laughs> it's still a work in process. Are you know, we all? You're right. You're, you're always striving to be better, but I'll tell you, it's a very freeing experience too. Really kind of letting go of some of that false dogma and just embracing who you are, really. And when you talk about like guy friends, I've been digging into some studies around male friendships. And one of the things that really pops out is that most men in America say that they don't have any close friends that they confide in about their their like real feelings right. or share something deeper than the superficial stuff that guys are comfortable talking about. There hasn't been as much progress on that front. I think as we'd like there to be. I mean, every guy should have some friends that they can confide in and be real about, about what's going on in their lives and not have to put up this front of that. Everything's good. And yeah, Pats yeah. are kicking the bear's ass again. Although <laughs> that might not, that might not happen much anymore. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Like I do. So yeah. All too well. And that culture, you know, I grew up in it. I was bathed in it and, you know, just the, mm. the sports culture and, and, and I still, the expectation when I interact with other men sometimes is that I'm like that. And it's actually kind of fun now to, <laughs> you know, they kind of look at me like, wait, what did you just say? Like, <laughs> like, well, who are you? You know, are you wearing like a unicorn headset right now? And I said, yeah, I am. You know what I mean? So it's okay. You know what I mean? So I, I think sometimes it throws people for a loop, but I think <laughs> most of the people in my life love it and embrace it. And I think going out to see you, was obviously mainly for you, but it, yeah. al it also had meaning metaphorically for me. Doing that for somebody else that I care about is part of my evolution too. Yeah, awesome. I mean, it was one of those weekends where we just stayed up all night just talking and laughing, reminiscing, but also just sharing and, and talking about our evolution as men, as husbands and fathers and winging it a lot of the times. Like I think one of the things you said a couple of minutes ago about we're not always going to get all the answers right or, and, and we shouldn't feel, we shouldn't expect ourselves to get everything right all the time, but we should just keep trying. Yes. Yes. And then uh, that, yeah, never giving in, never giving up. And you know, that's certainly something that you guys follow in your group. I mean, it's just, you, you never know what can happen. I mean, I think life, there is some magic to life. I firmly believe yep. that there's reasons people meet and there's reasons for, for things to happen. It's really kind of wonderful in a way. 
It's so wonderful. And that's what it, I, your visit, I mean, personally, it was like I had this vision of this man up to cancer thing and having this message around guys not isolating going through cancer. But I had this vision for it and I thought I was kind of crazy. I was like, you know, I'd been on and off prednisone. That's a, it's a steroid. I was a little wacky. I'm like, <laughs> man, I have this thing, man up to cancer. I want to do this, this, this. And, and I kind of like was looking to you to like either be like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But <laughs> instead you're like, oh my God, that's magic, dude. Like you got to yeah. go for it. Like yeah, th- yeah. you believed in me at a point where it was really important for me to hear, you know, someone say other than my family <laughs> be like, you know what, dude, this is, this sounds amazing. You should go for it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you saw me off to the airport. It was just like, Hey, I know you're going to go kick ass and you have been kicking ass and you are kicking ass. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you too. I mean, I know that COVID has come along and kind of changed the world and who knows what things are. And that's the thing, like change is inevitable, right? Change, change is going to happen no matter what. So, you know, as a man in today's modern world, you got to be ready for what it throws at you. Tell me about uh, how you're, yeah, like uh, thinking about all this change that's coming at us. And do you have any plans or changes in your personal life that are coming up or what's what's on your horizon right now? Yeah. So, well, there's a lot. I mean, I think to, to answer your question directly, I mean, I think it's been tough. I mean, mm. you know, the, I think isolation, you know, is just really uh, difficult for all of us. I've seen my children be estranged from their friends and, you know, having a virtual graduation. And I feel most bad for our children. Um, But I do think like anything else, I do think that it has given us all cause to pause a little bit and reflect on what's important. And I think it's forced us to spend more time with each other, which is, you know, with our families and whoever we are quarantining with. Yes. And, and I think that can be a good thing. It puts a put a little pause button on life. And, you know, I can't go on forever, but I, I don't think there's I think there's a lot of good that can come from that. You know, for me, too, I, I you know, personally, I, I there's a lot of I, I think I'm just getting started at I'll be 44 next week. And hopefully I have a lot of interesting chapters ahead. I've got a crazy notion of maybe changing careers here someday and becoming a therapist, which is kind of crazy. But uh, I've been a banker for 21 years. Uh, and I love being a banker, but, you know, I just uh, feel like I might have a calling for something more altruistic. So, Oh, man, like I told you when you visited, I feel the same about you. And you're already helping. You're a helper. Like you help so many people and you're so thoughtful and thinking about others. And I feel like that transition is just going to be the next phase of that if that happens. And it's OK if it doesn't. Yeah. But, you know, wh- wherever you decide to take your helping is going to make an impact. Whether that stays in banking, goes into therapy, or or whatever you choose to do with it. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, keep kicking ass. Um, (laughs) So, we're going to start to wind down, but I would be, um, wow, I do, I would be remiss if I did not mention a couple of the shenanigans. Oh, no. From the University of Iowa days. Oh, no. uh, Circa (laughs) 1996 through 2000. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I mean, okay. Oh, God. Dear Lord. The, the, well, I know my kids are going to be listening to this, and I do feel deep shame, but I have to be honest. <laughs> my 21st birthday was a little oh, bit of a blur. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. I just yeah. want to read off a couple. So there's a couple names here. Oh, God. There's something called Wooden Floor. <laughs> there's the Dead Mexican Goat. And then there's the Cement Mixer. These are just yes. a couple of the... Yes. Horrendous shots that I drank on my. Now you know I just what a, I'm a stupid 
21-year-old uh, kid from Maine out in the middle of the Big Ten country in Iowa. And, I, you know, I'm just being honest here. I, I do not condone any of this, but it happened. It did happen. I was, I, I can remember that night very distinctly. And just to prove that I was a helper, I do, I do recall calling the University of Iowa Hospital saying, <laughs> okay, my roommate had like, at least 24 <laughs> shots. Like, and that's not an exaggeration. I think it was legitimately 24 shots. And they were all nasty, to your point. There were no, there were no like, you know, lemon drops or anything like no, that. The, no, right. There was no friendly. It, it no. was like, yeah, yeah, it was talk hardcore. About, talk about meathead macho culture, right? Like, so stupid. Yeah, yeah. So but it I, happened. <laughs> it happened. And I, I can remember calling, and it was just, I just remember a lot of throwing up after that. Just a lot oh, of heaving. I was fine. I woke up and, and, in the bathtub. Right. But, right. But you know what? The good news is, is you survived. We all go through that. <laughs> we all have one of those. We all have one of those, you know, issues. It's part of, it's part of growing up. Really. I know. And I don't want to give people the wrong impression. Like, uh, you know, the Stein and the 21st birthday, like, yes, we definitely had our partying times, but, uh, but it, you know, we actually were, we were good kids. It was a good definitely mix. Definitely went down the road a little too far sometimes, but we were good kids having a good time. And man, yeah, it was a blast. But I do need to issue... I do need to issue a public apology <laughs> to several sororities <laughs> on Iowa Avenue right around the year 2000, 1999, because Eric and I had this thing where when one of us would be in the shower, we'd be in the shower just enjoying a nice hot shower. And then the other one would come in with a with a, just a jug of cold, frozen cold water and just douse the other person in the shower. Now... <laughs> There was this one time I got Eric particularly good, uh, you know, dousing of, of cold water. Yes. And here is, again, six foot three, hairy Viking man. He is Don't covered in soap. And, and so he jumps out of the shower and starts chasing me. I run out of the apartment. I run down Iowa Avenue. And we are, he is chasing me down Iowa Avenue completely naked. And there are sorority houses everywhere. Is this true? Yeah, that that may be true. It was, um, yes, I can distinctly remember um, the horrific scene that transpired. And I, I was almost netted by the animal control. They thought You're I was right. There they, was a Sasquatch alert that yeah, was put out. Yes, I was a loose. I was a loose cryptid running down. There was many calls into the local police department, but I did get you. I think I did catch you eventually. Oh, and, and make you, you pay did. for your cold water transgressions. But. Oh, I paid. I paid many attacks. I can't even get into the things that happened that I paid. Uh, but that was one of the best. Uh, and I still remember the women fl like just fleeing. Yes. Just it was it was mass panic. It was yes yes women and children fleeing everywhere, diving for cover. Yeah, but it's those things that build memories, right? You know, it's it's those types of things. That's why you go out to Maine to see your buddy. You're nailing it, and. People don't want to talk about, and I didn't want to talk about it for a long time, this idea about the gifts of cancer, right? Like, especially when you're looking mortality right in the face, you don't want to hear like, oh, but think about all the good things that have happened. But you get to a point, I've definitely gotten to a point where I can see those things. And, oh yeah, you know, you reaching out to me and, and rekindling our friendship and getting to know you again at this point in my life, I don't think that would have happened Unless there had been an event, you know, maybe it wasn't, wouldn't have been cancer, but something, but cancer did that. It did. And, and I'm appreciative for that. I respect you and love you. And <laughs> I thank you for your role in my life. And I'm excited to have you in my life for years to come. 
you said it very well, my man. I love you too. And I'm super excited about having you back in my life. And I'm certainly recommitting myself to our friendship, you know, even though we're half a country away, you Ooh. never, you never know when I could show up again. In our, <laughs> that's true. And in our spirit of reciprocity, I may have some tricks up my sleeve as well. Nice. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So look out, be on oh. the lookout. There's something to be said about planning, but it's like, sometimes you say, screw it. Just go do yeah. it. Just go do it. And just go go for it, right? I mean, that's that's really what it comes down to. Just be there for people that you care about and that are worth going across country for. And you're worth it. You were worth it. The only thing that needs to be changed for the TV version for the movie is that the the guy with cancer needs to live at the end. Why does the guy yeah. with cancer always die? <laughs> exactly. But you, <laughs> but clearly, you're going to be around a long, long time. So oh, yeah. this for is sure. this is a happy ending. Yeah, exactly. Which this, doesn't sell well, but hey, hey, let's go with it. Let's go. With All it. right. All right, my man. Thank you very much. I love you. Love you too, buddy. It's wonderful to reconnect. All right. We'll talk soon. See you, buddy. Thanks for listening to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. If you want to get behind our mission, you can connect with us, subscribe to our email list, and check out our other content at manuptocancer.com. And if you know a man struggling with the isolation that cancer can bring, let him know about us. The Wolfpack doors are always open. 